Now I'm on. What's up, everybody? Everybody doing good? Yeah. All right. I decided something today on my two-minute commute to work, not even two minutes, two blocks. Um, we're all crazy because we all could live anywhere else in the world or the country, and we decide to live somewhere that in the winter, the wind literally hurts our face. And like, what, what is going on? It's nuts, right? And so it's cold. I'm glad you're here today, and it's exciting to have you. Some of you drove pretty far. Some of you drove not as far, but however you got here today, awesome, awesome to have you. We're in this series called For Everyone, and the message is so clear. Jesus and the work of Jesus is for every single one of us. So we're kind of journeying through his life all the way from his birth to the, the resurrection his final work in, in the Gospel of Luke. And today we're going to continue. So today we're going to have this conversation. And I'm going to tell you right up front, it's going to get a little intense at times. We're going to talk about something that affects every single one of us. And if we can figure this out, maybe we can look back, at, you know, 10 months from now or 10 years from now, is that this is a moment, this is a topic where God was speaking to us and talking to us. And it really changed everything. It can change your relationships. It can change your faith. It will change your faith. It will cause less chaos and pain in your life, but it's really difficult, really difficult to beat. It's really difficult to, to resist at times, but I'm going to way ahead of myself. So I'm going to get right into it because we got a lot to talk about today. So if you're following along and, and you're in the reading plan or you got your Bible or you don't have your Bible, we're in Luke 4. We'll start with the first two verses today, and, and it says this. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. Right? And re remember, he was baptized in the river. And now he's returned from it, and he was led by the Spirit. So God leads him. The Holy Spirit is leading him in the wilderness. Everybody say wilderness. 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 Nice and loud. All right. Wilderness, where he was tempted. That's really important. He was tempted by the devil for 40 days. That's a long time. Jesus ate nothing all that time. And the most obvious verse in the entire Bible, and he became very hungry. He didn't eat for 40 days and he became hungry. So he's led into the wilderness. And in this wilderness, there's going to be an epic battle between Satan and Jesus. They're going to go at each other. And one's going to prevail victorious. And it's going to be this, ma this massive moment in the life of Jesus, but the massive moment in our lives. But before we get to all of that, I just want to speak right to you. Maybe today you've come in here and you're like, that phrase, in the wilderness, is kind of how I feel. I feel like I'm in the wilderness of depression, of doubt, of temptation, of anxiety, uh, of worries, financial issues. Like, I just feel like I'm in this season of wilderness. I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like I'm not going to get out of it. I feel like there's not a light at the end of the tunnel. I just don't know what to do. I'm in the wilderness. And if that's you, I want to talk to you real quick. Two things. One, I want you to hear this, and I, I believe it with all my heart. The best is yet to come. I believe God is continually doing new things, continually working. And the promise is the best is yet to come. You may be in a season where you can't see the best. You may not hear it, so you need people to speak hope into your life. And I want to speak it today. The best is yet to come. God is still working. God is still moving, and the best is yet to come. The second thing I, I want to tell you is sometimes we just need to be reminded of this. That especially when we're in the wilderness, when we're in pain, when we're in chaos, this too shall pass. And I know it's really easy for me to say because I'm not in your situation. But hear me, this too shall pass. That whatever you're feeling, whatever the wilderness is, it won't last forever. And you may not see how better days are coming. You may not see a way out of it. And you don't have to see a way out of it today. But you just got to hold on to this idea that this too shall pass. Anybody know who this guy is right here? 
George Foreman, baby. How many of you had a George Foreman girl growing up? I mean, everybody, right? My question is, where did they go, right? Like, dude, I made the world's greatest grilled cheese on this George Foreman grill, right? All the time. I love George Foreman. He, the grill was everywhere. It was like this magical thing. I don't even know how to explain it. And when the George Foreman grill came out, I didn't know that George Foreman was actually a boxer. So it was kind of weird. It's like, why is he always wearing a boxing glove selling a grill, right? Then I found out he was a heavyweight boxer. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And he was a, he was a bad man. And so he, he wrote this biography. And he's a Christian. He, you know, he's a movie out now. I haven't seen it yet here. It's good. But in this, this biography, he wrote that he, he was talking to this, this elderly woman. And they were sharing like, hey, what's your fi- favorite Bible verse? And, you know, most people are like, hey, Philippians 4.13 or John 3.16. And she said this verse, my favorite verse, is it came to pass. It came to pass. And I, I think today, whatever you're going through, the, the promise is if it's good, it shall pass. If it's bad, it shall pass. There's hope that God's not done working. There's hope that whatever season you're in shall pass, even when you're in the wilderness. And when you're in the wilderness, there is a way to come out of the wilderness victorious. And so what we're going to look at, is we're going to look at Jesus in the wilderness. And I'm going to just read 13 verses straight in a row. I don't usually do that, but today I'm going to read all 13 of them right away. And you may not understand any of them, but I'll break them down for you and it will make sense. But listen, listen for certain words. Listen to how they're constructed. Listen to what Satan says. Listen to what Jesus says. And try to picture what's going on here. So Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And we've already read verses 1 through 2, but we'll do it again. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. And he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I think that's important to understand, that he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. That in the wilderness, he was there with the Spirit, but also the Spirit led him there for this this test. And God knew what he was doing. While he was there, he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And he ate nothing at all, and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, listen to what he said, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up and, and revealed to him all the kingdoms of all the world in a moment at a time of time. He goes, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give, it, give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you. All you got to do is worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, hey, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt a foot. You won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him and and waited until the next opportunity. So this is crazy going on. There's this battle. And so Jesus goes in the wilderness, and it says that he's in the wilderness, and he's fasting. And fasting is a discipline that Christians participate in. Maybe you have or haven't, where you, you, you kind of stay from food or certain times of food for a set period of time. And you do this to, to do this to draw closer to God. It's time of fasting and prayer, and you're relying on God. So Jesus is doing that. But while you're fasting, what happens? You get hungry. How many of you 
know somebody that gets very, very hangry, right? Anybody, like, hey, when you're hangry, okay, I know for me, Whitney will tell you, when Nathan's hungry or if he's hot, don't mess with him because he's in a bad mood and he needs some food. And I know when I'm hungry, I make some bad decisions. So Satan is coming at Jesus when he's weak. And he's coming at this weak moment when he's in the wilderness. But there's a word, as soon as we start verses one, it says, there's one little word, it says, then. Like, what does that mean? Then. Why is that there? What is that then connecting to? So whenever you see a there or a but or a then, you got to connect it back to something. So what does that then connect back to to make sense? And it, con it connects back to a moment. And if you put these two moments together, it, it teaches something. It connects to a moment back in chapter 3 where it says, You are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Jesus has just been baptized. And so connect those two moments. Connect the baptism to the temptation. You have one moment of this great spiritual high, and then you have this another moment where he's hungry, and he's worn out, and he's tired. And it's really interesting because then you can look at that and say, how does Satan operate? How does Satan move? How does he, how does he work in our lives? He, he sees us, and he sees these good things happening. And he sees God is working and God is moving. He may see that you're closer to God than ever before. And that's exactly when, what does he try to do? It's exactly when he wants to try to attack. That's exactly when he wants to work. So he goes to Jesus at this, this moment, right at this moment of high. Now he's at this low moment. He's like, now I can wither my way in here. If I can get him from this high, maybe I can work. And it's that old phrase that new devil, uh, new levels bring new devils. That when, when things are going good, you know what happens in my life when things go good? Especially at church, I'm like, okay, when's it coming? Something's going to happen, right? The, the heat, heater's not going to work. Someone's going to complain about something. When something good is happening, you know what I anticipate? Satan's going to try to work. And then what happens is, is this. I, you're going to look around in my life and your life. And here's the thing is you may be here today. You may not believe in Satan. I don't want to offend you, but Satan doesn't care if you believe in him or not, right? He's like, hey, great, don't believe in me. I'll work even better, right? And so he's going he's gonna to start working. And then all of a sudden, you're going to go from this spiritual high or when things are good, and it happens to all of us. Then you're going to end up over here in the wilderness, in the valley. And all of a sudden, you're going you're gonna to say something like this. What's wrong? What's wrong? I thought God loved me. God felt so close. Things were going so great. What is wrong? Why am I being tempted? Why am I here? Then you're going to start beating yourself up for being tempted. But it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus is tempted. But you're going to start asking what's wrong. What's wrong with God? What's wrong with me? And the, question, the answer is nothing. But we have to realize in those moments, Satan starts to work. And Jesus tells us, or Scripture tells us later, that the enemy has one goal. Three goals, really. The enemy's goal is to kill, to steal, and destroy. To kill what's God doing in your life, to steal your purpose that God's putting in your life, and to completely destroy your life. And so Satan, the enemy, and Jesus are going at war here in this wilderness. And Jesus knows that Satan wants to kill, to steal, and destroy. And he goes to Jesus. And I think that second temptation, we're going to look at every temptation, that there, there's three of them. He goes to him and he says, look at all of this. Look at this. Look at what I can give you. Look at how awesome I can make your life. Look at all of this. And then he goes to him and he says, let's make a bargain. Let's make a deal. How's that sound? Let's make a deal. You see all this, Jesus? This is all mine. Let's make a deal. All you have to do, and I kind of think of that infomercial back in the day, like, for a low price of 1995, you can buy this, right? For the low price of just bowing and worshiping me, you can have all this. 
It's the exact same thing he does to us. So I think we have to stop and we got to say, okay, what's the all this you would love to have? And here, I'm not, this isn't a trick question. I'm not asking you, hey, these things are, are, are bad to have because maybe it's success. You're like, hey, I want success. Maybe I want to be married. Maybe I want kids. Maybe I want to have, you know, financially, I want to be financially stable. Maybe I want to have a good retirement. Maybe I want to have a good house and a good neighborhood. We got to figure out what are the things that we desire and just looking at your life. What are the goals? What are the things I'm pursuing to have? And there's a reason I ask you to, to label this because these can be good things but Satan can use these good desires against us because he knows us right and he studies us he's like an offensive coordinator defensive coordinator and he's studying us and James tells us this that temptation so we're all tempted it comes from what it comes from our own desires that Satan uses our own desires away to what's that word entice everybody say entice to entice us it means it makes it look good and pretty and say man this is so good you're gonna want this it's gonna feel good it's gonna taste good and sometimes it does feel good and it does taste good and it is good and it brings a little bit of pleasure to your life and he's like i'm going to entice you with that and when i get you just like a fisherman i don't catch very many fish when i fish but just like a hook i'm gonna drag you away so let's make a deal let's make a bargain you want that 401k? I got you. You want that house in the cul-de-sac? Doesn't that sound good? A white picket fence with a, just enough yard and not enough neighbors, but it's a beautiful HGTV Ch uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines house, right? You want that? I'll give it to you. I'll give you the kids. I'll give you the 2.3, you know, perfect size family, 2.3 kids. They came out with a study that said the average American wants 2.3 kids. I don't even know how that works, right? But hey, that's the American dream, the white picket fence and 2.3 kids, right? I'll give you that. You want success? You want to be the boss? I, I can make that happen. You want to feel good in life? I can make that happen. What's your all this? What, what is it? What's your price? Let's make a bargain. Let's make a deal. I can give it to you. He's not going to tell you the strings attached or anything, but he's like, I, I can make it happen. I can make your life better than you could ever imagine. You want to make a deal? You want to make a bargain? What, what, what do I got to do? He's like, oh, no, no. You know that whole God thing? Yeah, just stop it. Don't go to church anymore. Don't pursue being better. Don't do any of that. And if you do this, if you make a deal with me, I can give you all of this. That's exactly what he's saying to Jesus. You know what? It was a lie then, and it's a lie today. The same lie he used then is the same exact lie today that he uses for us. You know what Jesus did? He looks him right in the eyeball. He says, no deal. No deal. No deal. And that's the same exact thing we got to say. Hey, listen, I'm not going to make a deal with the one who came to steal, to kill, and destroy. No matter how good it looks, no deal. I'm not making a deal with darkness. I'm not making a deal with pain. I'm not selling my soul to you. No deal, no bargain. No deal, no bargain, because I already gave my life to God. I already gave my life to God. That's what we got to say. And we know that. That's where it gets hard. We know that, right? We know that. Satan's sly and he works and he's, he's difficult to overcome and he knows us, but he can't be defeated. But we know that, hey, I've already given my life to God. I don't have to give, make deals with Satan, but, but life happens. And can we be real? Life happens. And I think sometimes when life happens, valleys happen and, and wilderness happens and pain happens unanswered prayer happens death happens depression happens anxiety happens 
And we feel good leaving on Sunday, but you know what Sunday brings? Brings Monday morning. And all of a sudden, all the things we learned, all the things we did on Sunday, doesn't, it feels like it was quite a long, long time ago. And I think if we're honest, at times we can be shocked with ourselves at how tempted we are to make a bargain with the devil. How, how tempted we are to say deal, even when we know it's not good for us. I think there's moments when we feel so depressed, we're like, I just want to get out of this. We feel so low, we're like, man, I, I know that this very thing that I want to do is the reason I'm feeling low, but I got to do it. I think we'd be shocked at how willing we are or close we are to bargain. You know, there's moments in life that I think about this. I, I think about growing up without a dad, and my dad's been gone for 24 years now. Uh, as a couple days ago, it's like I would look back at my life and say, man, how many times did I almost make a bargain just to kind of fill that void? I think of back when, when Whitney and I were, were struggling with infertility, and if you're here struggling with infertility, listen, we're praying for you. We, we may not know your story. We may not know your pain, but we know what it feels like. And it was one of lo the lowest moments in a long time in my life. And I'm like, I'm preaching 45 times, 48 times a year to uh, hundreds of people. And it's like, man, here I am. Like, I I'm preaching, hey, this too shall pass. And here come, you know, better days are coming. And here I am living in the midst of it. And there were times like, man, I will do whatever it takes to make this deal. And I think sometimes, sometimes the bargain that Satan throws in front of us looks better than the promises that God has ahead of us. Because what he does is he makes it look really good. He makes it look really enticing. And we know God's promise for our lives, that he has a purpose for us, that we matter to him. And we know that. But that deal that Satan's put in front of us it's like, man, that looks good too. It's like, I, I know I don't need another motorcycle, Derek. No, I'm just kidding, right? But it looks good. It looks good in front of me. I know I don't need this, but it looks good. And sometimes they look better. And so what we have to do is if we know he's going to operate like that and we know our nature, you have to have a plan. You got to have a plan, right? You just got to have a, a plan of victory, a plan of defeat. It reminds me back to when I played my very first video game, right? Some of you in this room have never lived a time when video games weren't around, but I remember my very first video game. It was on a system that looked like this. And it was in the basement of one of my best friends, Jake Cox's grandparents' house. Anybody played this growing up, right? Yeah, okay. It's awesome, right? You had Mario. Like, who doesn't like to be a plumber jumping on mushrooms? Awesome game. Right, then they have Duck Hunt. Who loved Duck Hunt? Like, Duck Hunt, maybe the greatest video game ever invented. Show, uh, shoot, uh, pointing a gun at the TV and shooting ducks. Like, does it get much better than that? And then there was the Bo Jackson football game. Like, Bo Jackson, easily the best video game athlete of all time. You couldn't stop him. But I loved this game, Mike Tyson Punch-Out, right? I loved the game. And I didn't mean to actually put two. I'm not a big boxing fan, so I don't think I'm a boxing fan after this. I, I know I got Mike Tyson and, and George Foreman in here, but Mike Tyson Punch-Out. Mike Tyson was a bad man, man. He bit a dude's ear off. I'm like, I want to be that guy, right? That guy's awesome, right? He's knocking people out. He was a dangerous man, but he had a video game. And you would f fight these goofy-looking dudes, like a guy with a mustache, and, and you would fight them, and you would try to win. Well, if you played the game long enough, you would eventually realize the technology was pretty limited. And that every opponent, they would have the same exact pattern. And so if you could figure out the pattern and move in the right place and hit the right button, you could beat the game pretty easily. And I think about with temptation. 
If we know we have an enemy, we know how he works, and we know what he likes to use against us, if we know how he operates, then we can have a plan. And we can have not just a plan, but we can have a plan of victory for him not to rule our lives. So what I want to do is I want to go back to what Satan and Jesus went through, and there's going to be three temptations. I'm going to call them three bargains. These are going to be an umbrella of not how every single way Satan works, but often how he attacks us and often how he works in our life. And if we can look at how Jesus overcame them, maybe, just maybe, we won't be so willing to take the bargain. So, let's go back to Luke, and it says, this is the first temptation. Jesus, notice what he says right away. De the devil said to Jesus, if man doesn't, doesn't he just gets you a question a little bit if you are the son of god tell this stone to become a loaf of bread which sounds kind of weird i'll explain it in a second though but jesus told him notice what jesus says what's Jesus' weapon he's like no 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 the scriptures say so he combats the falseness of satan with the truth of god and he says no, no no god says this you might say this but god says this in his word people do not live by bread alone so the first thing that Satan attacks, the first thing that he'll attack with you and I, the first thing he attacks with Jesus is for us to bargain with your identity. And what I mean by that is he wants us to bargain or put up for grabs the things that give us purpose, the things that give us value. He wants to convince us that only certain things make us lovable. Only certain things make our life matter. And so what he does, he's like, hey, your identity is up for grabs. And why attacks your identity? Because your identity, where you find your identity, is going to shape your life. If you think you're just a failure, your decisions are going to operate like you're just a failure. If you think you're better than everybody else, it's going to dictate your decisions. So what Satan does is he'll look at your life and often say you have a little bit of success. Maybe it's academic su success, career success. Maybe it's athletically. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe it's in finances. Maybe it's in your marriage. Wherever you find some success, Satan will come over and says, man, that's what gives you value. You want to be more successful? Come here. Let's make a deal. You want to be even more, you want to make even more money? Let's make a deal. You want to be even a better, like you want to be from a manager to a boss? A boss boss? Let's make a deal. You want that house? Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. He's like, find your identity. Because you know what? You know, your career gives you your job, your identity. Your house gives you your identity. What type of cup you drank from, and everybody knows it has to be a Stanley, right? That gives you your identity. How many kids you have, that gives you your identity, right? Gives you your value. What other people say about you, that's where your identity is. And we're like, no, 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 Satan, that's, that's, not, that's not what gives me value. God gives me value. You know what he says? Are you sure about that? Are you sure? Are you sure that's really what makes you valuable? Are you sure God loves you like that? You know what Satan does? He puts question marks in your life where God's already put periods. God says, hey, your value doesn't come from that. Your value is placed on you from the beginning of your life. No, nothing in this world besides me gives you value. Period. Satan's like, yeah, are, are you sure about that? And he makes you question a little bit. Makes you question a little bit. Now then go back to Jesus. And then we see another way he attacks identity. He says, Jesus if you are, kind of condescending, saying, if you are the Son of God, turn this rock into bread. 
Now, do you think Jesus could do that? That's the question. I do, right? And I wish I could. I wish I could just be walking down the street, see a rock, and turn it a pizza. Like, that would be awesome, right? But he's like, turn, you're hungry? Then turn that bread in, to, turn that stone into bread. You're the son of God. You don't need God to, to sustain you in these 40 days. You can just sustain yourself. You can pull yourself out of the wilderness right now, right here. You can do it, Jesus. You can do it. You don't need God. Right? Hey, you can be successful. You can be successful. You can be rich on your own. You don't need God to work in your life. Look at it. You already have that job. You already have that success. Come with me, and I'll make it a little bit better. I'll make your life better. Or don't even rely on me. Jesus, you don't need me to do it. Meet your needs by your own power. You don't need God. Jesus, you don't need God. You guys don't need God. You, you got it. And so he's going to start attacking your identity, whether to make you believe that your value is found in certain things or make you feel so good about yourself that he says, hey, you can turn on God. You don't need God. And if you want to be even more rich or more successful, make a deal with me. Make a deal with me. And then he continues. It says, then the devil took up him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give you to anyone I please. He's like, look at this world. I'll give it all to you. I'll give it all to you. Just worship me. He's like, look how many people I've already cut deals with down there. That's my dominion. I rule over that. I know your father's promising you a kingdom to come. It's going to come one day. But right now, right here, I can give this all to you. And Jesus says, hey, God says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Satan's like, come on, are you sure? I can give you all of this. So what he does is he says, bargain for the goods. What's your all this? What do you want most? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. It'll be really good. It'll bring so much joy and so much pleasure. What, what do you want? Look at, I, I rule everything here. What do you want? He's like, I want this. Well, what's the price? Well, you, you just got to do this. You just got to abandon your loyalty to God. Does that sound easy? Come on, make, make a deal. Make a deal with me, he says. Hey, stop going to church. Stop, stop loving people. Stop believing in audacious generosity. Stop forgiving. Stop doing all of that. And I will give you the all this. And he always overpromises and underdelivers. by the way. That's, that's, that's his MO. That's how he operates. But what he's really saying, and you've got to put it in perspective. M imagine that he could give you everything you've ever wanted. Just imagine for a moment. Your life is a hundred years at the most. And then what he's asking you to do, put it in real terms, he's asking you to trade a hundred years of momentary pleasure for eternity with God. That's what he's asking. He's like, that's, that's all you've got to give up. I'll give you 100 years. You give me your eternity. Deal or no deal? Most are like, no way, not a chance. Right? Well, that's how he attacks us. He looks at our desires and the things we want, the things that we think will make life fulfilled, all the things that we think are going to fill the emptiness in our life. He's like, I'll give it to you with a low price of 19.95, or abandoning your loyalty to God. And then he continues. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. And then Satan gets really, really sly. 
for the first time, he quotes scripture. He says, because the scripture is saying, Satan knows the scriptures. He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you, you up with their hands. He kind of twists the truth a little bit. He says, you won't even hurt a foot on a stone. And Jesus replied, yeah, you're twisting it, but the truth is, you must not test the Lord your God. So this is weird. Because you read this like, if Satan said, go to the highest building and jump off, I'm going to say no, right? Like, no chance. What is he doing? So I, I sat and thought about this. And I'm like, how do I explain this in the best terms? He's saying, test God. If God really loves you, he'll take care of you. If God really loves you, he'll bring you out of the wilderness. Then all of a sudden, it's like, well, what he's trying to do is bargain with God's plans for you. Because if God really loves you, this is what he'll say in your head. He'll start attacking your minds. If God really loved you, you would never be in this wilderness anyways. How many of us have ever thought that? If God really loved you, you wouldn't be in this pain anyways. If God was really there, really cared for you, really gave you your value, you wouldn't be going through this. So go ahead. Pray to your God. This is what he says. Pray to your God. Ask for whatever you want. And if he loves you, he'll give it to you. So pray. Jump. He'll protect you. The ironic thing about all this is, where does pain come from? From the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. He's the one that brought this chaos in this world. And now he's using the chaos that he creates to go against God. Because he knows God's plans for your life. He knows the value and the purpose that God has placed on you, what God's going to do in your life. He's going to do anything that he can to get you to question it. So those are the three ways that he attacks Jesus. You know what Jesus says? Hey, kick rocks, my man. No deal. No deal. No bargain. And that's the same way he operates. It may look different, but it's under this umbrella. And I started thinking about my life and your life and praying about my life and your life and like how many times do we take these offers and these deals? It, it kind of reminds me of this. I'm a big pocket knife guy, or knives. Anybody like to collect knives in here? Nobody? All right, nobody's, a couple of you are weird like me. I love knives, right? And so I got so many where my wife came to me and said, hey, dude, no more knives, or buy cheaper ones. I'm like, no, all the good ones cost more, right? That's the, st that's the, that's the story of life. And so I kind of came up with this plan. I want some new knives, even more. So I started going to eBay to buy them, right? eBay, because they have an authenticity guarantee, meaning if it's fake, I can send it back and give me money. And so I go to eBay and I find a knife I want. And I, I lowball the guy and he sends it to me. I'm like, awesome, right? Win-win. Like, I'm going to tell Whitney I just bought this awesome knife for a deal. Like, I couldn't pass it up. And then she can't say anything to me. So I got this knife. And I'm looking at it, and I, hold, I have it for a couple days. I'm like, awesome. Like, it's, it, I already have another knife like it, but I didn't have the color, and I wanted the color of this one. So long story, right? So I have this knife, but something kept gnawing at me. Like, well, I think it's fake, right? I had no, nothing to judge it off. I, th I think it's fake. So I started doing some research on this knife, on this blade. and started looking at everything, and I, I'm on the video, and I'm touching everything. And there was really one, there's two giveaways. I'll just tell you one. One of the giveaways was that it came in a box with the same logo on it, so that looked good. The foam, everything was the same. But it came in this bag, this little sack. And I went on the research and said, this company has never had another sack the entire time it's been operating since the 80s, and it's always made out of this material. Well, it wasn't made out of this material. So I went back on YouTube, and go, uh, eBay, excuse me, and I found out that this guy had many names and often sold fakes. You know what I did? I sent it back. eBay gave me my money. And why I tell you that story is I wonder how many of us are settling for the fake life. 
Because what Satan does, just like that, that guy from eBay, he spent a lot of time making this knife look real good. He makes the things that he's offering look really good and really pretty. And he's going to convince you that these things that you need, that he's going to offer you, are going to fill some type of hole or void, give you, give you purpose, give you meaning, make you successful, make you feel a certain way. And, and at times, they will for a little bit of time. That's why we keep going back for another hit because it, it feels good for a moment, and we want it again, and so we keep going back and back. But we end up settling for fake. And we, we convince ourselves, well, it's just one area, but then it, all of a sudden it starts to trickle into our marriages, into our parenting, into our relationships, into our personal life. And all of a sudden we look around and like, man, I've made so many deals with this fake promise and this fake deal maker that I'm just lost, I'm confused, I'm in the wilderness now. And then what God does is says, listen, come back. You don't have to settle for fake. You don't have to settle for this fake version of life. I have a son named Jesus who was in the wilderness for 40 days and he kicked Satan's booty like you're never gonna imagine in that wilderness. And he beat temptation so you don't have to be defined by temptation. That you can look at Satan and say, no deal, no bargain, no, no relationship. Why? Because I already made one with Jesus and it's better than anything you can offer. And I didn't do anything to deserve it I didn't do anything to, to pursue it. Uh, I, I didn't do anything, but he pursued me, and he loved me. And God says, that's the hope. That's the life you can get, walk into. You don't have to make a deal with Satan because you can walk into a relationship with me, and there's no strings attached. My son defeated temptation. Ultimately, he defeated Satan's greatest gift, death you don't have to settle for deals so you can look at him and say no no deal no deal to pain no deal to shame no deal to darkness because of what Jesus did in that wilderness you and I have the hope to not be defined by temptation now are we going to fall into temptation sometimes absolutely every person in this room that you're looking at sitting next to no matter how great they are they fall into some temptation but when I think of that wilderness and that butt kicking in the wilderness that's Jesus gave Satan, I, I'm reminded that this doesn't have to be my final story. Every sin, every temptation that tempts me does not have to be my final story. And it says when we're tempted, there will always be a way out. So something I, I want to share with you that I operate under with temptation will be the last thing. That every temptation is an invitation to lean on Jesus. I may not be able to kick Satan's booty, but Jesus could. I may not be able to defeat him on my own, but he already did. And he's inviting us into a relationship. And he says, hey, lean on me, lean on my power. And every temptation is an invitation for you to lean on me. And I'll do what I do best. I'll whoop Satan's booty like you can never imagine. And I will work in your life. So lean on me. No deal, no bargain, Satan. Because we're walking to a relationship with Jesus. Now you wanna know what that looks like? come back next week as we get that invitation. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for you. So thankful for how you work. We're so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful for the people in this room and their stories. And I know there's someone in the wilderness today. I know there's someone in pain or in doubt. And Satan's trying to get them, Father. 
They're working hard. He's working hard. I want them to feel your spirit today, Father, that you're just calling them into relationship. I'm so thankful for they're here. God, you gave us Jesus. You loved us first. And you proved it through Jesus. So what we're going to do is the only thing we know how to do best to respond is we're going to worship you for the next several moments. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.